The Artist Life Podcast is brought to you by Real Creative Heart. Heavy the head that reps the crown. With love, your greatness is found. So rep your crown. Live from Greensboro, North Carolina. Art is life. Welcome to the Art is Life podcast with your host, Russell C. Holt, where we sit down with artists from all career fields and we discuss their perspectives on their art and what it means to them in life. So sit back, have fun, and enjoy the ride. Welcome back, guys. We are here again on another special episode. I know I said I had a special episode last time because that was my first Zoom meeting. Well, this is my second Zoom interview, but it's the first time I have a couple on. Power couple that is in the art industry together, and I wanted them to be on together for that specific reason so they can talk about their different experiences we have one that's an actor and a dialect coach in tiffany gilly for or tiffany four right tiffany gilly four oh actually, right yeah. i was right tiffany gilly four and then my man chris that we graduated together he was in my cohort uh he was a directing student um and he is also an actor he we, we did some acting in our our second to last semester in, in the in one of the best classes the, the film class with my man flannery the flan man <laughs> oh that class was tight yes that yes. class was tight <laughs> but yes um so yeah so they're together um they are in north carolina right now but they will be recently we soon as of friday moving to utah and going on their adventures um after graduation tiffany graduated prior but um yeah so she we'll let tiffany explain all that stuff for for us uh as far as what, what happened and everything like that so ladies and gentlemen i thank you for joining us and i want to introduce tiffany gilly four and my man cgf chris gilly four thank you for joining us today and um yeah so i would like you know, both of you guys, you can talk, touch base on, you know, how Tiffany, how you became a actor and a, a dialect coach. And then Chris will, will get into that as well with you as far as acting and um, directing. And, and yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I started my acting career, I guess, when I was in high school middle schoolish i was doing uh church skits <laughs> about um like little goofy funny things to start youth group and found that i liked that group of people a lot because they were weird and and goofy i guess and i felt like i fit in and so then in, in high in middle school i auditioned for a show and i had to choose between that and uh another extracurricular activity and I chose the other thing and I wish I hadn't because when I went and saw the play, I cried because I wasn't in it, not because it was good, but because I wasn't in it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, maybe I want to do that. So when I got into high school, uh, started doing plays and musicals and stuff. And then from there, I started dreaming of going to Juilliard and uh, being on Broadway. And then I had a really big life event happen when I was 16. I was put in foster care 
I got taken away from my mom and all my siblings, we got separated. And, uh, so theater actually helped me a ton to get through that. Um, it was a place that I felt like I had friends that could listen to me and a place to express myself. So I felt, I just like really felt happy doing that. And so, uh, after that, I went to college for it. I got accepted to a small college in Oregon and it had a great program because it was smaller. So, uh, it gave me a lot of opportunities that you don't get in a bigger school because you have to compete against everybody. Uh, so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> and when I finished that program, I worked for a few years. Um, I got married and did a few things here and there, but wasn't really fulfilled in the work I was doing. Cause I was, uh, living far away from the city. So it was hard to find good work. So after that, I had my theater degree. We moved back to Oregon, my ex-husband and I, we got divorced and that was when I started really pouring myself into the craft part of it, besides when I was in undergrad. So when I was an undergrad, I really was immersing myself in the craft. And then after that, I was kind of pulled back for a little while career-wise. And then when I was uh, post-divorce, I was you know, leaning on that again to process and get through the hard thing that I was going through. So then I was interested in grad school just because I didn't have the networking that I really thought a professional needed, uh, or if somebody who had lived in a bigger city, not Portland, Oregon, uh, would have. So I was like, let's go to grad school. So I auditioned for the Erdas and got accepted to Louisiana State University and moved all the way to Louisiana. And Chris came with me. That was when Chris and I had been um, together at that point. We met doing a play together in a theater company that he started. And after earning my MFA, which was a very hard two years, uh, in between, you know, undergrad and grad, I did, I did a lot of Shakespeare stuff. So my experience was really growing, growing and strong in like Shakespeare and outdoor stuff and small professional companies in Portland. And so moving to Louisiana was like a huge, huge change. And when I graduated, I sent my resume out to, um, studios here in North Carolina, cause Chris got accepted to grad school at UNCG, as you know. And so I was like, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to graduate grad school and move to an area that doesn't have a ton of work and not do some, some work. So I, when I was in grad school, I focused on voice and speech because I was like, I like this area. I, I think this is great. And then I also did stuff with, um, uh, intimacy because I saw that there was some need there. So that's how I ended up teaching at two studios. And I got some gigs working as a voice coach at UNCG and uh, got an agent. And I've been professionally acting for a bit now. So that's sort of like my long journey to nice, <laughs> how I nice. got here. <laughs> I also want to make point that Tiffany did help me on my uh, dialect for Peter and Starcatcher. Um, so if yep. whether it was good or bad, just blame her. So <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job, <laughs> but yes, yes. But yes, she yeah, definitely a good uh, voice and dialect coach for sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Now CGF. Well, uh, you know, like so many of us, I got started in high school. I kind of never really had a particular interest in it. Actually, humorously, I, um, until the sixth grade, if I had to give a, a speech or a presentation in front of the class, I would cry and they would let me not do it. I hated speaking in front of people. So I was like, theater, absolutely not. No, you couldn't pay me. 
Um, and, you know, I started softening up a little bit. My freshman year of high school, my, oh, one of my best friends on earth, the best man at my first wedding. I'm also previously divorced. Uh, Leaf, Leaf Jaden, uh, he convinced me in the eighth grade to join the select choir in the mornings. I'd never sang before. I was like, okay. So I started doing that. Uh, freshman year, he convinced me to come and do uh, start coming to speech and debate practices. And I was like, okay, you know, you know that story about me and public speaking, like that, that they do not go together. But I went anyway. Um, and he convinced me to, to try out for the musical in the spring, which was Oklahoma, um, which I cannot believe that's like a part of my theatrical journey forever. And I can't do anything to change it because that play is so... Can we swear on the show? Is that like kosher? If you want to, man. Okay, that place fucked up. <laughs> I don't really know much about it, so now he's gonna get an explicit warning. <laughs> it's I mean, I could go on, but I won't. Um, another time. Uh and the choir director really pushed me to do it because they needed more male voices. Mm-hmm. Because of course they did. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'll audition and I have to do what I have to sing, I have to dance. You want me to do what mm-hmm. <laughs> at this audition? And uh, I told my dad he was he was in town visiting for a weekend. You know, my my dad and my uh, stepmom lived in San Jose. We lived up by Portland. My mom and I and my brothers. And he said, "You're uh, you're gonna audition for a play." I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, you know, I did that in high school." And come to find out, like not only did he do it in high school, he did it semi professionally afterwards, and sort of had an opportunity to go down to Los Angeles and one of his instructors wanted to like shop him around, try and get him uh, uh, picked up by an agency. And he decided to marry his uh, first wife instead, which is not my mom. Um, so, you know, choices were made. Uh, so there's this connection. I never, I never realized. So I auditioned and I got in and first um, Mrs. Dempsey, Mama D told me, I want to be a cowboy. Of course you want to be a cowboy. The cowboys are, are fucking cool. The farmers are lame. Like they're just like walking around being angry and like, I don't touch our daughters, you know, whatever. And then we get ready for the first rehearsal of like the first cowboy number. Uh, and she's like, ah, oh, actually I needed to switch you to a farmer. So like there's four freshman boys in the cast. All three of the other ones are cowboys and I'm a freaking farmer. Like this sucks. <laughs> I wasn't really like into it. So I was kind of like, all right. So next year rolls around and um, the musical in the fall was uh, into the woods and that kind of changed everything. Um, I sort of was shocked that it could be like that, that the music could be that good. And the story could be that powerful um, and surprising. I mean, like act one to act two of that play is a complete 180. Um and so I was obsessed with it. I auditioned. I didn't make the callbacks. I was sad. I think there, there were like seven performances, and I think I saw five or six of them. Uh, and I was like, all right, this is it. This is the thing I want to do. So I signed up for the drama class finally and uh, jumped in in the spring. And uh, off I went with that. As for when directing started to kind of scratch at my scratch at my brain i don't i don't really know that there's a moment like when we were seniors in high school we could direct one act plays in between the the musical and the non-musical mm-hmm. and so leaf and i there's leaf again uh co-directed a show um called the two halves of andrew's brain about this teenager and all of the different sides of his personality like his left and right brain his anxiety uh his uh uh, anger, you know, uh, things like that. Very high school one act type thing. Right. So Leaf and I were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to get real wild with this. And instead of just like 
doing the show and setting in his room or whatever, we cut the stage in half and they were exact mirror opposites of the bedroom. And on one side of the stage, we, we saw the actual kid, Andrew, like going through his day to day. And on the other side of the stage, all the parts of the brain were like moving in similar patterns to him, but doing their own thing um, in that. So I was like, huh, this is kind of rocks. And uh, we were, uh, she picked us as the best directors. So we we were recognized at the the Wax Awards. She said, if y'all want, you can direct something again for state. And we were like, hell yeah. So we directed this uh, shorter play, Drugs Are Bad, which is like a after-school special. Um, but the parents are trying to get their kid to do drugs and drink alcohol and like listen to death metal. And the kid's like, no, I have to drink milk and study and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, and that won at state and the actors went and competed at nationals that year. I could afford, I couldn't afford to, to make the trip to nationals, but they went and competed. Um, and so went to school, uh, 30 minutes from Tiffany, which is really funny. Um, George Fox we did not know each other. We did not know each other. George Fox did not like Lidfield. They called us Sinfield because they were repressed Baptists. Um, <laughs> and we drank and enjoyed ourselves. Um, uh, and you told Janet, my mentor, who's from North Carolina, uh, who was directed in some shows by John Gully, actually, uh, my mentor at UNCG when they were younger. Uh, I told Janet, like, I want to direct a show. And I kept telling Janet that for four years until she was probably ready to kill me. And uh, my senior year, I directed the first show of the season um, and took an internship at PCPA, Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, which is a regional company in the central coast of California. Got to work uh, under their resident and guest directors. Uh, they hired me to direct their education outreach tour the second year that I was there, which was my first paid theatrical gig. I felt like a king, 1500 bucks for directing a show. It's like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. doesn't get better than this. Um, and like Tiffany said, when I got back to Oregon, my now ex-wife and I, and a third person who she met when she did the training program at PCPA, we started a theater company. We started an outdoor classical theater company called Penguin Productions. Uh, and the mission statement was to create classical theater for contemporary audiences. So we were trying to trying to find the conversations that are happening now that Shakespeare's text sort of touches and uh, bring them to the forefront. So the first season uh, we did a gender inverted, I directed a gender inverted Macbeth um, with a female soldier Macbeth and uh, Lady Macbeth as Lord Macbeth, who is like a stay at home husband, housekeeper sort of thing. I kind of explored the way that those dynamics sat and the way that the military men interacted with him. Um, and uh that was pretty cool. We did a, we hired a, a, a director to do the other show as you like it. And she, uh, cast Orlando as a, a butch lesbian who was male presenting. Uh, and that sort of, rather than it just being about, you know, Roz is in disguise and what does the disguise mean for them in the forest of Arden? It's like, what does the disguise mean for Orlando every single day of their life? You know what I mean? Um, and I was like, man, we're going to get letters. People are going to picket this like Newburgh, where we were doing the show was like super conservative. Uh, I was like, oh man, we're in big trouble, but people showed up. They loved it. I was like, great. Uh, so did that uh, the next season. And then I, my marriage started falling apart and I realized that I had irreconcilable artistic differences with our third partner. Um, 
did not seem that he was really that on board with what we agreed the mission statement was going to be. Um, so I stepped out, which still kind of sucks. Uh, but it was the right choice. So I stepped out, um, met this one doing a show the second season. We started dating, fell in love with her pretty much immediately, had to kind of like submerge it a little bit. So she didn't like run away from like, oh, this guy's way too serious, way too fast. Um, and we went to Baton Rouge and she started grad school. I got into UNCG and uh, man, here we are. But yes. what a long and winding road it's been. Yes. I wanted to touch on a couple of things that you said. Um uh, first, as far as the, well, I guess I'll talk about it now because um, I'm probably going to, we'll probably steer back toward, we'll, we'll reel back to it. But when you were talking about um, the gender bending of the Shakespeare. Now, when you did that, did you feel pressure or was it a challenge to go like, do the do the gender reversing but did you did you like stay with the same script or did you like twist it a little bit or was there any um pushback for you to do that like or did were you did you have freedom to just um you do whatever pretty much but like still get the point across that's a great question um script wise we definitely, I definitely went in and uh, adjusted some pronouns. Um, I didn't change all of them. So most of the time uh, when people referred to Macbeth, that was a, a female identifying actor, they used she, her pronouns. Uh, most of the time when people referred to Lord Macbeth, they used he, him pronouns. Um, there were some selective spots. I left the she, her pronouns for Lady Lord Macbeth, uh, specifically when Duncan and Banquo and the Malcolm and the soldiers uh, come to their castle and uh, Lord Macbeth is sort of showing them around. I, I kept Duncan using she, her pronouns as sort of like emasculating this guy who chose not to be a warrior after like the whole country's been at war. Mm -hmm. Um and it kind of made the plot to kill Duncan hit a little bit different for some of the audience. They're like, oh, I uh, kind of get it. Um, that was pretty much like the big the big text thing. And then like I cut the bejesus out of it. I think it was like a two hour and five minute cut, which is as long as that play needs to be. Um, as far as like pushback goes. So, I mean, you know me, like I'm a man of action. And so if I know that I'm going to do something, I'm going to say I'm going to do this. And I don't hedge my bets and I don't like play it close to the chest in case it doesn't work out. I go and do it. And so when we announced the season and announced sort of like unveiled the company, we've been sort of talking about it to a lot of the PCPA folks. When I put in the casting notice, I was like, I am casting either a woman or a person of color to play Macbeth. It was in the casting notice from day one. So my feet, my feet are on the fire. We are making this happen because that is the stuff. Those are the stories I'm interested in telling. I don't, I don't think we need another, another white dude, Macbeth. At least I don't care about that. Um, right. And so uh, I don't want to like say a bad word about uh, my former partner, but also he was like, why did you do that? Mm. Like, what if we don't get that? Now we're going to look terrible. And I said, well, Garrett, that's why, because we need to. And if we're going to do something, we need to say we're going to do something and then we need to do it. Um, so there was that. Uh, also, with 
the changing of because you know there's the one the real famous scene between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth of like uh when you dare do it, then you were a man, and to be you so much more the man, da da da. Garrett was kind of like, Yeah, you're gonna have to help me understand how that's gonna work if we change pronouns. I'm like, what? Like, I it's the intention remains the same, right? That it's just the gender play, it's not an emasculation, it's a you could have been equivalent to your male peers, which you've been struggling against. You could have been more than them, in fact. Uh probably should have seen the writing on the wall with that one. Um, and that was kind of why that was conversations that kept happening. Same thing with like changing to the genders and as you like it, of like, how does it work at the end of the, like, and I for no woman, if you end up with a woman, we're like, she doesn't know. <laughs> like, but that anyway, um, <laughs> yes, there was a little bit of friction, uh, but I was like, Nope, I'm sticking to my guns. This is what it is going to be. And I'm directing the thing. So hop on board. Well said, well said. So Tiff, um, now I, I know you, you mentioned um, that you had a, you know, struggles with, you know, going into foster care and stuff like that. Um, since that's happened, since now, like looking back on it, like influencing your work, do you think it has helped um, or like has given you an edge or what per se on on things on like relating to things like when you're going out for roles and stuff like that what is your what are your thoughts on that in some ways it helped and in some ways it really didn't so like sort of interesting i hear people say like the hard things they went through Sorry, Chris is telling me I should talk more into the microphone. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has more experience on podcasts than I do. So I'm willing to listen to direction. <laughs> no worries. Um, You're amongst friends. <laughs> um I hear people say like the hard things they went through shaped them, but I don't really know if I like that because I think it gives the hard things and the and the people that made those hard things happen an out or an excuse mm -hmm. in a way. I would rather those terrible things hadn't happened. <laughs> yeah. um, but regardless that they did, um, I think it does help me um, in some ways. It helps me access emotion <laughs> pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not forcing it. If I'm forcing it, it doesn't matter what you've been through. Like you can't, you can't force feeling. Mm -hmm. um, but if you learn technique um, in acting, which I did, I'm allowed to, I'm able to like open the floodgates in a way. And I think that partially it's easier because I've been through some tough stuff. Um, and I think also I've, I've been teaching kids and teens for the past year. And I taught kids for a long, for a long time before that. Um, I taught summer camp. I really liked that. And I taught kids theater when I was in Oregon. Um, and the thing I see a lot of with teens, especially, is they don't they don't have a ton of experience in life that informs connecting to characters very well. So it's hard for them to empathize and really have emotion be a byproduct of the story. Instead, it becomes a focus because they they may have only felt real true grief twice in their life and it was because their dog died. And so sometimes they can't remember, you know, they can't think of enough or relative circumstance that they didn't yeah. have a connection to begin with. Type deal. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I believe strongly that any circumstance that makes you feel that heavy grief can make is enough. Like you don't have to go through terrible, terrible stuff to be able to portray grief. Like little kids are great actors in in TV and film sometimes and stage. But um, generally I think that my experience in foster care um, uh, informed my work in that way, helping me to be able to access emotion. But I also think it, uh, it helped me be more relatable to all the stories that I want to act in or that I read or that I see. Like I met a lot of other kids in foster care and I, uh, have a lot of, uh, I have five siblings, so all of them have their own stories in that relation. And so I've become a person who's able to like really empathize with lots of different stories because of it. Um, and I also fun fact made my thesis, my, about my story about being taken away and mm-hmm. how I dealt with it. And I don't know if it was a really great play, but it was good. I mean, it's hard to write a solo show. <laughs> I don't think my show is a solo show. I think some people can write a solo show, but mine isn't mine is about community because even though I was taken away and I was separated from my siblings, um, my story has always been about the people around me. And so I can't write a whole I don't think my my solo play is going to stay a solo play. I think it's going to become a a multi-person show eventually. Nice, um nice. so yeah. <laughs> so um obviously speaking about your siblings, you are in contact with them or have been in contact with them. So do you ever find yourself when you are um doing a character, do you because you said they all have their own stories and stuff like that. Do you ever like say, "Oh, I'm going to take this from my like this is how she is i'm gonna i'm gonna use this for you know you know like you're taking your surroundings and like implementing that in your work or and not even um, just your sibling but just like people you know just close like close experiences or just like people you've observed through your life sometimes i think i make those connections after i've cre- i've designed a character or discovered a character. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to say created a character because I don't pull it out of thin air. Right. I, you know, it's sort of like that saying that uh, nothing is created or destroyed. Characters aren't created or destroyed either. They're sort of just like, they take their different energies or forms that exist within me and exist within a story that I feel like I synthesize And so later I might realize that a character had some similarities to somebody I knew, uh, but I didn't, um, I I haven't yet experienced where I've pulled a character from um, anyone I knew, but I have seen characters that I know, like this great show at, uh, uh, this great performance at UNCG um, uh, in Sweat, uh, Libby. Oh yeah. Reminded me yeah. Libby plays this mom who's uh Rachel who's really yeah struggling um in, in one of the I think so. I <laughs> No, Tracy. Tracy. It's Tracy. Tracy. Oh yeah. It's like I don't know. <laughs> but she she has this scene in Sweat where she's like living in her house with a bunch of trash everywhere and she's miserable and everything's gone to shit and that reminded me a lot of my own mom. It's a sad thing to say a little bit, but she, I was, I was pretty emotional watching that scene. I was like, oh my God, Livy, you have no idea how good this is. <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes I see my family or my friends or the close people in my life in characters, but 
I also, it's weird time capsule in my brain once we were taken away. And you probably know this about other traumas. Like when you experience trauma, some things stay that age or stay in that brain for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard for me to realize my siblings are all adults and uh, they're all still kids in my head a little bit. Um, So I try to spend time with them as adults so that I can see them as adults, but I still see my little brother, Jake, running around in his diaper saying he wants a blue popsicle. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And also like you, like when you're like doing something, when it comes to acting or watching something, you don't stuff, something that could be like unrelated or something that triggers an emotion that you didn't even expect to happen. Like, cause I know that's happened to me just in like class and stuff, just like randomly doing something and it just triggers something else. And you're like, what did we, you know, where did that come yeah, from? <laughs> like lots to unpack the, uh, this question for both of you guys. So like, when you see stuff like that in your, like in a performance or something that you can relate to, or that resonates with you that, you know, hits home, is that something that you appreciate? And does, does that dictate, um, your thoughts on it being a good performance or not? Or yeah. <laughs> like how, like, how do you, differentiate oh absolutely i mean i think that uh, for me like the first and not necessarily only like bar to clear for me to be like yeah that that was a a really good performance is seeing an honest to god human being in front of me like the second i see people who are trying to be human beings my eyes just glaze over and roll into the back of my head uh but even if it's not even if it's not an experience in humanity that I have encountered personally, when I see it on stage, I still recognize the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I I'll be talking about this production literally for the rest of my life, but seeing Mark Rylance in Jerusalem in London um, was like, just like soul shatteringly good. And have I ever seen a human being like that? Hell no. Like that is a wild human being, Mm -hmm. but there was not a second of that performance that I could either look away from him or that had a false note. It was completely lived in everything completely lived in and entirely human. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference to me. Then you could like get into some technique stuff. Like, oh, okay, so they're really like they're really human, and they don't quite know how to like keep themselves open yet, or they don't you know quite know how to like keep keep their vocal projection up. But if their base level is humanity, holy moly, ceiling there is no ceiling to their work. And that's what I see. That's why I see in Andre and what I saw in Andre when I first saw him work. Yeah. Um, when we were in rehearsal, it's like okay, like vocal tools, physical tools, like we'll keep, you know, refining those of like his sense of space, staying open, good diction and, you know, like physical openness, et cetera, et cetera. But like, holy cow, he's just a human all the time. Like he, he doesn't know how to not be a human when he's on stage. Yeah. I mean, he's a Duke fan, but you know, we'll let them, we'll let him slide for that. But other than that, <laughs> well, we'll give him plenty of grief, plenty of grief. Yeah, how'd that last game go, buddy? <laughs> No, but Andre, shout out to you. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to seeing what he does. Um, and actually actually working with him like directly and not indirectly. Because <laughs> we were in a show together and we didn't work together. Like we had no lines together or any interactions. So you were on stage together the yes, whole time. Yes. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
but um yeah um that's really interesting i never thought about that i never thought about the fact that uh what's his name what's the character's name never talks to judas oh, and yet he's oh, yeah. persecuting Elfahumi. him yeah. Elfahumi, yeah. yeah that's so interesting how wow see that's something that i think affects an actor a lot and that's mm-hmm. what really shows whether an actor is a really strong actor or if they're just a good actor, if they're not a good actor is can they make a bad script still sound honest? <laughs> and that script is really good. So it's kind of hard to make, to mess it up. But um, that's really fascinating to know that, you know, that character is literally prosecuting Judas and never interacts with him. <laughs> my, my, my lawyer doesn't interact with me. The Jess's character who plays my lawyer didn't even interact with me. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was, yeah, it's in my thesis I was writing about, yeah, like, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, just, you know, people in general, just the media or just you know, judge, <laughs> yes, media, don't know anything politics, yet. yeah, the law. <laughs> but, um, so I want to touch base on how you guys met. And Chris, I know your f- ex-wife was an actor, correct? Or she, she, she acted. Yes, she also was in the show okay. that we met doing, and okay. Tiffany and I were playing spouses, and Daphne was playing the antagonist who was trying to drive a wedge between us, <laughs> which is sort of horribly ironic in hindsight. Oh, um, not that there was any intentional s- stuff, but I mean, folks were seeing the show and going like, are they... So... I mean, there was something, there was something there. But this was prior, Yadi, this was what I was going to ask. So, because if it, I was like, then that, did that help your acting? Because you were like, really, really living it. Um, uh, yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, and well, and that's, uh, that kind of like touches on a broader thing from that whole summer, which like, I am a firm proponent of the of the saying in theater that the uh, things that the actors are working through personally will manifest in their work and vice versa. So if you identify things in the work that needs to be refined, it's also usually something in yourself you can continue to refine. Mm-hmm. Um, playing uh, it was an ideal husband uh, by Oscar Wilde. Our director did an adaptation of it and moved it from the House of Lords in England to the House of Representatives in in contemporary Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, so this guy could be just an irredeemable asshole. Or if I work on accessing some of my own vulnerability in performance, um, this this could be he could maybe be like more more compelling, more relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so working on that in rehearsal, it started to open up some stuff for me just in life that I was blocking really intensely and didn't realize. And I went, oh my God, I am so unhappy. So incredibly unhappy and started to broach that with with Daphne and wanted to go to counseling and uh, was was rebuffed and was trying to kind of figure that out as we're also doing that show. And another show and producing a season and working at TSA at four in the morning and just it just all compounded until finally like something had to give. Um so we got to be, we have to be in touch with ourselves and it did help the show. It did. And then like us having some like seeds of chemistry, like obviously didn't hurt anything either. And also I was acting with like one of my absolute best friends on the planet. Like most of my scenes were with Nate, who 
I think is like one of the finest actors I know that I've ever known or worked with. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get to work with him again. I directed him like one time and it wasn't even a, like a meaningful role. Like I can't wait for us to work again. So all my scenes are like with one of my best friends. And like, when we're talking about the stuff that's going on with Robert and going on with Arthur, like we were just talking. Um, right. anyway. I say acting is, the, is acting is self-revelation. Oh, who says that? I love that. Um, I forget who said it, but I think I Steve Steve told me it, but I forget who he heard it from. And I have oh, I'm gonna notes, but look that up. That's I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we have. I want to shout out to our uh, Chris's friend Nicholas, his best friend Nicholas, one of his best friends, and uh, my friend as well, because he recommended I submit to Penguin Productions. So shout out to Nicholas for. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to you, Nick. Helping us meet. The, the man. <laughs> didn't even know it. But uh, Tiff, but but I wanted to. T- so Tiff, your husband wasn't a your ex husband wasn't a actor, correct? Okay. Nope, he was a pastor. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll say that for That's the a, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the reason what I, what I wanted to say, so I wanted to ask. Um, so Chris, you have experience with this, Tiff. You. This, this you don't this is your first time with the experience with being in a relationship with someone in the art space um so i just wanted to know did you have any hesitations about that or did you care like both of you like chris i know you had you've had experience and but did, did it like turn you off on that or like what, what's your thoughts on because i've heard you know mixed things as far as like you know especially if you're two actors, like you don't want it because you never, never, you know, competing and stuff and like, oh, she's getting jobs, yeah. he's getting jobs and stuff like that or working in directing them and stuff like that. And that can cause strain in relationships. But uh, what are your thoughts on on being two artists in a relationship? When I was an undergrad, I always said I didn't want to marry an actor at all. <laughs> Funny enough. I was like, oh God, I hate them. I hate actors. <laughs> Well, Chris's I am first time was a director first, so you. I think that's you true. That's true, but it does help a lot actually that he that his focus is a different area. So uh, I feel like we are. I mean, now at this point, I have a master's in acting, and he has a master's in directing, and so we both are, you know, masterful in our craft in regards to a different aspect, which is nice because. I feel like I have some strong knowledge in an area where I can help him. And I want to, because I'm a teacher at heart too. Um, and he feels like he has, I mean, and he does, he has knowledge of directing that I don't have and skills that I don't have. And, um, so he's able to help me when I'm teaching or directing and, uh, we're both very eccentric. We can, we can, we can, uh, bite at each other's heads sometimes it's intense uh but i didn't want to be with an actor before and i found that life was really too slow for me with the person that didn't have the same speed Mm -hmm. so uh i really enjoy that about chris is like we're both kind of we call ourselves yes or we call ourselves uh and people we don't say yes because we do say no to things but we're and people we don't say uh this or that we say, how about a little of this and a little of that, you know, we're kind of just an all experiences peep a uh, couple. And that that's just very fulfilling. You know, it feels like I don't miss out on much in life. I have strong FOMO <laughs> and uh, Chris and I do so much and say yes to so many things and do them. And uh, I think that's 
a big part comes from being a, an actor that's constantly or or a, uh, an artist that's constantly crafting and changing projects and uh, moving around so and I feel like we try really hard to balance our I think this is a testament to just us as people and and us as a couple because not not a lot of couples are good at uh supporting each other while also pursuing their own things without getting insecure. And I think we both sort of struggled with that in our first marriages with imbalance between our partners and us, where if they were successful, we were jealous. If they were, if we were successful, they were jealous. And it was like a back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, but now because we have experience with that, um, and a weird upside to getting, you know, having that first trial, (laughs) as much as I don't want to call it, that kind of ends up being that that's pretty shitty to say, but sort of feels that way a little bit. Um, that the second go round is, (laughs) is better because we have experience and we're like, okay, I don't think this is worth like being jealous about. I think I can lift you up and celebrate. So this is being the and people. What do you think, Chris? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, I mean, to speak more to it, I think that the, the folks that are, the actors that are like, oh, I could never date another actor. To me, I'm not going to call that like a red flag, but I, I, it makes me wonder what are you afraid of? Like, what what is it exactly that is giving you reservations? And usually I, I find it's true that often the folks that we, we, we hyper fixate on or the traits that we hyper fixate on, like say in another like random actor who could be our partner other things that we recognize we also do mm-hmm. um so i i probably was a little trepidatious uh to be honest because i think that i directed daphne a bunch of times and because our personal relationship was so bad and dysfunctional uh on both our parts mm-hmm. i'm not laying that at, at her feet by any means um because that relationship was dysfunctional, our working relationship was equally dysfunctional. And so I was sort of like, God, is this is what it's like to like direct your partner? And Tiffany and I haven't really done that yet. There's some small stuff like the the Young Playwrights Festival. She was in the reading I directed for that, like this sketch comedy show we did. I kind of sort of directed one of the sketches she was in, but I don't have reservations about directing her because our personal relationship is constructive and supportive uh and we can challenge when necessary in a constructive way um so i'm with it but also i totally get on the other hand somebody that's like this life's insane i don't want to like have that double (laughs) like i'd rather be with somebody who like has more consistent employment not that Right. Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Makes a lot of money or also just as like they work Monday through Friday, nine to five, they come home, they leave their work at the door. They don't have to be thinking about like, gosh, am I going to crack that scene or wonder how that audition is going to turn out? And then they have their weekends and you move on and you go back to work and it, it, right. I love the nine to five. But yeah, that's why I was saying that you guys are the power couple because you guys are both in the art space and I from my from my perspective, it seems like you guys are always supporting each other, doing and and still doing what you need to do, um, and not necessarily stepping on each other's toes and you know overstepping in that way. But 
can all you can always no we do we do argue though oh yeah i mean (laughs) we when chris directed some (laughs) auditions for me (laughs) and i I get defensive sometimes (laughs) like if 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 you're in a relationship and you don't argue or have disagreements i'm questioning that relationship yeah same that's why i had to put that one in there (laughs) seems more like a dictatorship if that's the case but yeah it's because it comes with compromise and stuff like that but overall i see like you went to school he came with you you graduated, he got into school, you came after you finished school. And it's like, yeah, you guys are like two peas in a pod, essentially. And yeah, like, now we just got hired together at yes. Utah Tech University. Yes. <laughs> we'll get there, Tiffany, my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But yeah, but yeah, like you you guys are able to maneuver this crazy art world together. And, you know, it's very rare that you see that. Um, at least from what I've seen and I've heard. And it's nice to have a a prime example, you know, personal prime example of that to let people know that it is possible and it can't happen. Um, But yeah, since, yeah, let's, let's talk about some art stuff now. And this we got a little, (laughs) yeah, that's true. We got real personal. (laughs) Art is life, Russell. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Life. life, So speaking of like, so, so what do you, what are your thoughts on that in, in regards to art being life for you guys? What's your thoughts and perspective on art and life in your lives? Like, yeah. <laughs> like how important is it to you in your life? I mean, I think the more that I could do that isn't theater, the more that I'm going to be a human being you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i think that that's where it's art that's where art is life for me Mm -hmm. um that i can only know my humanity when i'm out doing a bunch of stuff that's not in a theater with an audience and then when i take that into a theater with an audience whether it's an actor as an actor or a director it's going to better inform my work it's going to better inform my ability to connect with people it's definitely going to make me more empathetic. Like I cannot imagine how people live in the same place and never even like travel yeah. out of, out of area or out of state. Like that's the big, that's the problem we got right now, like in the U S and elsewhere is people are so pocketed off mm-hmm. um, that if you traveled, like lived somewhere else, even if it's just for a few months, like, Oh my God, you would have so much more empathy for your neighbor. So or just That's what be, it comes back to for me. Just being open to trying things and just doing something out of the ordinary <laughs> that you would do would even help. And um, I'll get to you in a minute, Tiffany. I just wanted to make this point because he had brought it up. Because um, Nat- I was talking to Natalie um, and when, when I interviewed her and, and she made a good point. And it's like, you can find art pretty much in, in anything. Um, and what... and. I believe maybe Jim has said this too, or just in general, just like general psychology, like how we are, depending on who we're, who we're with, like that's art and acting and we're acting and performing all the time, depending on who's around and who, you know, so I, yeah, so it's like intertwined and you can't get away from it. No, I don't think there's any delineation, frankly, which is where I differ from, uh, John the G goalie is that uh, I'm like, no, it's literally like, I would literally like sit on the front porch and drink coffee with Tiffany and sell tickets to it. 
and call yeah. it theater because I think it is because I, I think it's I think it's more real than than realism. Like Ayana, right. when we were working on the Julies, co-directing the Julies together, when we were thinking about those interludes where the actors need to like believably be out of character, we were sort of like, okay, we can either go the way we ultimately did, which I kind of wish we hadn't, which is it's a second character mm-hmm. that's different from themselves and from the character they play in the scripted sections. Uh, or they could literally be the indistinguishable from themselves. And she called it uh, actualism mm-hmm. because they were, they would actually be themselves with those words. And we would want the audience to be confused as to whether or not they were still doing the play. So I think it's, I think it's identically the same. And I, I don't think anybody, I, well, I know like very few people who would agree with me, at least at UNCG, but yeah, it literally is that's what we're doing. We're trying to create human behavior. So if you are literally doing human behavior, so indistinguishable from any theatrical artifice, like I think that's, I think that will be thrilling. Yeah. Like I always joked to Brown and was like, yeah, you just, they just, just pay me for living. Like you got these Kardashians getting paid just to, and it's, and that's scripted. And it's like, yeah, just let's, let's follow us around and, and you'll get, you'll get a, some interesting things here and there you know i'm not going to tell you it's going to be interesting all the time but (laughs) but when it is it's like the truman show yes (laughs) but uh yes uh tiffany um i don't know how to answer this really because it's sort of it's it's so big um but i just think i guess a couple things that come to mind are that two two things that existence is theatrical and it's element elemental form just existing is a theatrical act and the universe is very theatrical and and uh spectacle and story all in one um so we can't really escape that uh but i don't know even even more simple than what I've been hearing, I think that art is presence. So I like art that doesn't feed me anything specifically, instead lets me sort of chew on it and explore it. Um, like a painting that you see and it for some reason makes you cry and you're like, this makes no sense. It's shapes on a black background with some scribbles in that corner and then it's and yeah i don't know like that that's the kind of art that i like to see and it doesn't really matter what form it takes whether it's theatrical acting if it's filmic if it's a painting it's all telling a story um and i just saw this fantastic movie that i wish i could just talk about forever uh called nope by jordan peele i just watched it (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you've seen it. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> I was, but I love yeah, it because it so, uh, the, the one scene I was a little disturbed, and I'm sure you know what scene I'm talking about. And it was so no, there's like five. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> nope, still doesn't clarify it for me. Are you all... talking about the monkey? Or are you talking about no, the insides? About, it's the after insides. the star lasso. Yeah. And the I'm not going to spoil anything okay, else. Okay. Yeah, that's really messed up. Yeah. But I was like, I love uh, that movie. I, I had such a visceral reaction to that when I saw that. I was. Oh like, yeah. Did no. you throw up? <laughs> I didn't. But I was like, and then and then and then because uh, I watched it with Laura, Laura, my fiance, 
Um, and she was like, she's like, you hear the screams? And I was like, oh, it just made it worse. I was like, I, was like, I wasn't paying attention to that, but thanks for bringing it to my, like, I was like, yeah. yo, but yeah, that, yes, that, that is, a, is, it is a good movie for sure. Yeah, I bring it up because it, I'm still chewing on it. There's so much to get from it. And I like that. And then Jordan Peele doesn't, a lot of people ask him, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by this? And he doesn't really give them an answer. He tells them yes. it means what you think it means. Right. Because he wants you to interpret it like art. It's yeah, art. Giving you agency, you know, don't want to just spoon feed you stuff and you know, let you think for yourselves. Um, and We're not used to that, though. Yes. Culture has trained trained it out of us we, in a lot gotta, of ways. And so we feel unnatural with it. Mm -hmm. Um I had a point, but then I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Got talking oh, no, about no. nope. No, 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 you're good. Um so oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. So Chris, um, I wanted to circle back to what you had said about you know, when you were casting the gender roles and stuff like that. And and you've, you've um, made it pretty adamant throughout your time at UNCG with your, how you approach your directing and stuff like that. What made you start approaching things like that? What, what, why, why are you so conscious of that as opposed to other people who aren't? I kind of had this like major artistic crisis in like 2015 to 2016, um, which I've still kind of not, I've, I feel better about it now, but I still, it, it still kind of scratches at me where like, it was clear to me that the stories that I thought needed to be told theatrically uh, were ones that involved people who do not look like me, who come from a very different life experience than me. And if that's the case, then how could I justify like my own pursuit of a directing career if I know I'm not the one to do those stories? Mm -hmm. And I'm also at that time I was still like well in the process of doing graduate school uh, applications. It took me like five application cycles to get in. Um, mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, I'm writing all these application materials, trying to justify my inclusion in an extremely exclusive series of programs um but i don't even think that i'm the person who should be directing all this stuff on stage that i think needs to be seen right now mm -hmm. to create empathy for marginalized communities and so i was like what the hell do i do with that like mm -hmm. and i i could not solve it i couldn't i still can't and i had some mentors that steered me in a you know one direction and i had one one very vocal mentor who we have fallen out since then who was absolutely adamant that the only way that I could actually walk the walk on that would be to stop applying for grad school and to do a, a different part of theater. Um, and I was not willing to do that uh, as to whether or not that means that she is ultimately correct about me is I suppose for others to interpret, but that was as you, as you know, from uh, God, what was the name of that? course collaboration the course oh, with yeah. natalie the first yeah. semester like that was the question that i was trying to answer during my time at graduate school and why i wanted to cast Macbeth that way was to start trying to figure out 
what does this mean? Now I know, you know, it's not as simple as just like substituting a gender identity or an ethnicity into a role because you may be messaging things you don't realize. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like there's more to it than, than just like plug and play for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And Natalie was, I I mean, I, I cannot express the depths of my gratitude to her for the way that she guided me through that. And I think first and foremost, the thing that I needed was how do I put this? The simple fact that she said, what you're doing is part of this change that you want to see. You do know that, right? And I kind of was like, I don't know that I do know that, but the fact that she believed that and saw that and wanted me to be as involved in things like scaffolding change and search committees and like my own directing practices and which, you know, like sometimes, sometimes, you know, Gilly would be like, yes, this is great. Like, I think that's great. And sometimes he would want me to pump the brakes a little bit and I would have to figure out like, where do I, where do I sit in that? Like that, that spectrum of, of action and non-action and being careful and just doing the thing. And, um, but I'm, I'm more settled now to know that yes, there are things I can do. Yes. My practices are helpful. Um, and no, the answer is not to just erase myself. Um, yeah, I don't know if I explicitly answered that, but no, I, mean, I, I don't I, know that I have an explicit answer yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I, I mean, I don't think there is necessarily a clear cut answer. You know, I think the answer is you trying and attempting and getting guidance and being open and, you know, knowing when to get out of the way right, is yeah, a big one and going, being, a, being aware of, you know, what you're yeah. doing and what, and knowing and having knowledge of you know your privilege and being able to use it to the best of your ability that you you know that you can so and that's all you know that's all that's all you can ask for I mean we're not asking you to you know change the world you know I mean just help you know with what you can do and you know hopefully others will follow suit um so I I'd say thank you for that and I think that's that's all you need that that's that's all the answer that that you know that's good enough you know so I wouldn't stress over it too much and I'm and I know you don't um because you you do what you need to do for you know that that you believe is going to help and it's coming from a genuine place and you know thank you you're welcome so um so 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 Tiffany um so what I know you have briefly mentioned about school. We'll get to it about teaching. I mean, <laughs> we'll get to it. But, but, um, but as far as as far as um, acting and like um, being a voice voice teacher and stuff like that, where do you where do you see yourself, or what would you like to do for you know long term career goals in terms of the acting as well as your dialect coaching and stuff like that? Um. There's like a bunch of things that would make me really happy. So right now I'm kind of like, I want to be in a Jordan Peele movie. (laughs) I really want to be in a Jordan Peele movie so bad. (laughs) Um, I know he's just, I've read, I've, I've seen interviews where it's all about how collaborative he is. Mm -hmm. And I want to work with directors like that. So any director who's collaborative like that and is willing to, 
work with the actors to create the character story and everything um, instead of being sort of this untouchable director that we have that image of people. I want that. Um, so, and I'm happy. I would like, just love that to be any, you know, professional company. Uh, I could see myself happy working at like Utah Shakespeare festival or, uh, any kind of like a repertory or Lord theater that, you know, pays me well, uh, like respectfully and, uh, does good work. You know, I'd also really love to like originate a role that, uh, gets published. So like part of why I want to move to Chicago so much is because in Chicago, there's a lot of work that's new work and, uh, goes to Broadway after that. And it's like, I would love to be the you know, the person in the name or the name in that play that gets published, that says this role was first performed by, and I want to be that person. So that's one, those are a couple of the things that I would really be happy doing. And then in like 20 years, I'd like to be a professor at a college. Um, I'm going to be an adjunct professor, but, um, I really would love to be like a full-time professor in like 20 years. And, be teaching people, but I want to have that 20 years of experience. That's really strong behind me. Mm -hmm. So I can offer, you know, I already, I know I have a lot of strong experience, especially when I work with new actors and stuff, but it's not enough for me. <laughs> I want to be able to teach master students. And at this point in my life, I definitely, I, I would need more, uh, experience and credentials and such, I think to, to feel like a master student would feel like I was able to teach them something. A lot of the time they're looking for somebody with five or 10 more ex years of experience than you have mm -hmm. in something, even if it's in one thing. Mm -hmm. So in regards to voice and speech, like I'm happy to keep on voice coaching and teaching people dialects and, uh, getting better at the body work side of that, which is like link later Fitzmorris stuff. Um, I really like that stuff. I'm actually interested in getting certified in yoga because I feel like these certifications in the theater world are really extremely expensive and actors just don't have that kind of money. So it's sort of like, I don't understand why it's $8,000 to get certified in something. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't get it. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, and I, I think that we can't with paywalls like that, how are we? I just, I don't know. I don't know why it's expected. We go into so much debt. I would rather go spend money on something that's similar. You know, uh, Fitzmorris, for example, is yoga adjacent in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It just uses tremoring and it's boiled down. That's what it is. So I'd go get certified in yoga and spend like half that much money. Um, so those are some of my like goals, I guess. And I'm happy that they're always constantly shifting and changing because once you achieve them, you know, you got to have something new to chase. <laughs> I don't want to like, just chill. I want to be like Betty White and keep acting until I die. <laughs> no. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he's, he's doing it still too. How about you, Chris? Um, I think we, I've asked you this before, but um, do you see yourself doing films or is it strictly theater and teaching and stuff like that? It's really interesting. Um, like a, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Uh, usually when I think about like new stories, like things I want to write, I usually, they usually come to me theatrically and I, I can kind of see flashes of what it would look like theatrically. Uh, but I had this idea that just came to me one morning when I was waiting for the bus in Anchorage and I imagined it so filmically. 
And I'd never done that. It had never happened to me before. And so I kind of went, oh, wow. Like, I think that's that's a screenplay. Like, that's not a play. That's definitely a screenplay. Um, so I think it just depends on what the story is. And the more years go by that we, like, really aggressively see a lot of the good films that are coming out every year and even not just good films, but like as much as possible, mm-hmm. it just starts to inform my uh, performative imagination in a way that's more filmic. Uh, but primarily still, you know, it's, it's plays uh, and teaching for sure. I've wanted to teach for forever, which is as important to me to get a master's like that side of things as the drilling down on my craft side of things was just knowing that that would be the opportunity to finally teach some college classes, get a sense of, do I want to do this? And then if I realize, oh yeah, totally I do, which I did, uh, that I've got some practical experience I could throw on my CV. It can launch me out into the world. Um, I love working with college age actors. I love working with college age actors. They're just so like, they know enough about themselves and about their craft usually to sort of know they've got something but they don't know how to use all of it yet um and i love to see i love to see stuff come out of people that surprises them and surprises other people uh yeah nice nice so at this point in your career lives um or in personal lives as well um what motivates you what keeps you going to keep pursuing this besides you just got a degree in it (laughs) you gotta make use of it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, paying off them loans no um i mean like partially but anyway uh oh it's 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 excellence i love what i love about theater is that it is you versus yourself Mm -hmm. Like all this like manufactured garbage about we're in competition with each other and we're training you to compete against us. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're training you to learn how to constantly be in competition with yourself, which is why I like rock climbing so much. Not to like wildly veer off the subject of (laughs) performative arts, but it's an art as well. Rock climbing. It is. It's a physical art. And the thing that I love so much about it is it is you versus you. And so much of what has helped me get better at climbing so much in a year um, is working on like the mental component and working on the preparatory component, uh, like trying to perfect technique, trying to like better be able to look at a situation from the outside, analyze it quickly and then give that solution a go and see if it's the one that's going to work. Um, Cause there is no, the point of rock climbing is literally to climb harder rocks. Like that's the only yeah. point of it. It's and in theater, the goal of theater, as far as I'm concerned is to perform more difficult roles, to direct more difficult and challenging shows. It's like to constantly be striving for excellence. Cause I was not naturally gifted in this. Like I was just not like, I was surrounded by people in high school who were so much more charismatic than me, who sang better than me. Um, who made bolder choices than me. It came so easily to them. And the only way that I could keep up with them was to work twice as hard as all of them at all times. And that has never left me, has never left me. Even at UNCG, like years later, 18 credits every semester after the first semester, committees, extra projects, festivals, conferences, give it to me. Like I am going to put myself in a position. I will, out, I will outwork everybody around me if I have to. 
I will work as hard as I know I am capable of working because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference is the time that I put in for myself. Um, so that's what it is for me. It's always scratching in the back of my mind, like that next show, same with rock climbing, like that. Pro- I spent three sessions outside trying to climb this particular route on a rock and I didn't get it. And it's going to bother me for a year. Is it's going to bother me for a year, me? Russell. Yeah. The one of like me. Yeah. And it, Oh, I was close. I'm so pissed that I, that I uh, punted on that, but it's God. the same thing with theater. Like I'm always itching at like, Oh man, this would be such a cool Macbeth or, Oh man, I can't wait till I get to do the nether. Oh man. Like this is going to be like, what's that going to be like? What's this class that I'm teaching going to be like, it's always scratching in the back of my mind. And I know I have to keep getting better uh, to get there. Yeah. It was uh funny. You said the you versus you things. I've, I've been seeing people, walking around with like the buffalo versus everybody shirts of i'm sure you've seen those like this is a city versus everybody and i was like i'm gonna make a shirt that says me versus me because <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> i will buy that shirt and i will wear it <laughs> for sure for sure but uh tiffany what, what's your motivation um that's a tough one i had to think about it for i'm glad chris went first <laughs> um i think my true motivation is my six-year-old self my 16-year-old self and my 26-year-old self i just don't think that anything really matters except that what you give meaning to and so what i do doesn't really matter at all in this life because we're all gonna die and everything's gonna burn up anyways so like why <laughs> And the reason, the answer for why for me is because my six-year-old self, my 16-year-old self, and my 26-year-old self all wanted me (laughs) to be who I am now and who I will be. And so, like, I guess my 31-year-old self's now in there. (laughs) I'm 32 now, but um, 31-year-old's probably the next monumental one i think 28 probably then not 26 but i like the six sort of like the the same oh no that's three sixes um (laughs) but still like that's that's who i'm constantly trying to impress and make me happy was is my younger selves i used to spend my whole life trying to impress other people and then when i got to be in uh you know, actually, I think it was right when I, right after I got divorced, when I was like 28 and I met Chris and stuff, I realized I didn't want to impress Chris at all. And I didn't want to impress my friends or my sister or anything. It was me. I just wanted to make sure that I was satisfying that younger self that saw themselves in the future. And <laughs> if I met myself, <laughs> I would probably, I would think I was so cool. <laughs> and that's, that's a really cool, um, <laughs> fulfilling feeling at the end of my life yeah man that that's deep that i yeah (laughs) no like when you think about yeah like looking back and you know they ask you you know what what would you tell your younger self or your future self and all this stuff and it's like yeah it's like hopefully you know that they're they got something good to look forward to. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. But um, in that same vein or breath, um, uh, what would you, what advice would you give, or um, either it being whether it be career advice, personal advice that you would give to not only your younger self but like just people who had interest in being in this field or 
um, going on this journey, what, what, what would you tell them? Uh, to find real, true confidence in themselves. I had a lot of confidence as a teenager, but I, I was also very insecure at the same time. So some of it was fake confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's good, it's better to fake it than to than to let it beat you down, I think. At least it was for me. But uh, I would say to find true confidence in yourself. And that might be through many me methods. Like you can't really have full confidence in yourself if you struggle with deep insecurities or depression. You have to battle that stuff and find a way to heal from some of it. So like the only the only thing that made me finally feel 100% confident in myself. And I constantly, I guess I add, it's like 99%, but like when I was about 28 and I got separated from my husband, I just felt like really, I grew in a lot of confidence in the things that I felt deep down that I never let out mm -hmm. and uh, healed a lot, went to counseling for several years and healed so many wounds internally that I really truly found confidence in myself. So I think that's what I would say is like, if you want to be an actor, if you want to be an artist, have confidence in your art, no matter what stage you're at, no matter what skill level you're at. And I'd say that to myself as a teenager, like <laughs> I can't barely say that without getting choked up because I needed to, I needed to hear that. Um, like you are valuable just because you exist. I hear people say like, I want to be worthy. I'm like, worthy of who? Yourself. <laughs> be worthy to yourself, uh, uh, your, to your younger self. It's not a selfish thing. It's a, it's a more kind of a focus or a centered thing. And then I think when I have a kid and they don't exist yet, but I think when I have a kid, I'm going to care a lot about whether or not I'm worthy of them. Um, so, so yeah, ask yourself, you know, am I who I want to be? And if the answer is no, then you don't have to give up or become devastated or let despair hold you back. Just start taking small steps to change the things you don't feel are things that make you proud or make your younger self proud. Cause your younger self would probably give you a hug. <laughs> my six year old self would so give myself a hug and be like, it's okay. You can just try again tomorrow. Yeah. So you sort of have to do some weird healing like that. That's internal. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. <laughs> I resonate with all that, for sure. Speaking of collaboration, um, I would tell me and anybody that chip on your shoulder is going to cut you deeper than it's going to make you strong. I, oh, like really recently, like since UNCG realized like how negative that has been affecting me. Um, and I thought it was like a, like, oh, I can, you know, this is, this is fuel, you know, like, oh, they don't, you know, they're not going to take me seriously. Oh, fine. Like, you know, d d screw you. You'll see my show, blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, oh, you don't think I can get such and such role thinking about like high school. Fine. Like, we'll see what's up at auditions not super, not healthy, not healthy at all, because eventually it's going to start talking to you uh, and then start talking for you. And you will start manufacturing situations to find slights in that don't exist with people who certainly do not deserve that assumption. Um, case in point, 
Um, I can't remember what the conversation was about, but I like snapped a little bit uh, over text messages or something to Tiffany and then went, I can't even assume like positive intent from my wife when I think that she slighted me. Why would she would never do that ever? But it was, it was talking to me and then it was talking through me. And it was like, oh yeah, she's, she's saying that you're not, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like that's preposterous. Um, yeah. I resonate with that as well. <laughs> I want to add something. Yes. I just want to add that um, a big, big tip of advice that I want to add, offer to artists and theater makers and actors. Go to counseling. Yeah, no, that's true. But Is that not it? Oh, okay, because no. we should. Everyone should go to counseling, <laughs> but artists especially should go to counseling. Yes, go to counseling. But it's, uh, it's that you are more than your job. <laughs> your work as an actor is your job. And we just make it like our whole freaking life when we're teenagers. We're like, my whole identity is I'm a theater kid. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of follows you for a long time and you forget that you need to have hobbies and you need to have, you know, things you that you like to do. That life don't... in order to. Yes. Those yes. Yes. Art is life. Art yes. isn't just stuck in a black box with lights and people in an audience. It's mm -hmm. so much more than that. So you can get better at your art. By not doing your art. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. So. Uh, oh, yes. So now the moment we've been waiting for. Bum, bum, bum. What's next for you guys? What's Oh, I remember docket? this question comes up. Sorry. <laughs> I've well, listened no, I was, to your I podcast so and I love it. Because also you were talking about the teaching earlier, so. Okay, so what's up next? Multiple things. Coming up next on Team Gilly for <laughs> Chris and Tiffany are moving to St. George, Utah, aka the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's cool. I'm to... sure people don't even know where Utah is outside of Salt Lake <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh we are moving to Utah Tech University, which is indeed the middle of nowhere, but in a good way, actually. It's right in the middle of all of the national parks down there. And Chris and I, one of our biggest loves in life besides theater and storytelling and film is uh, the outdoors. Like we love to do stuff outdoors. So we're going to be two hours from the Grand Canyon and uh, less than an hour from Cedar City, which is where Utah Shakespeare Festival is, less than an hour to Zion National Park, two hours from Vegas. So we're just going to have a lot of things at our fingertips. Yeah, uh, we're teaching. Yeah, really nice. We're teaching several classes. I'm teaching uh, voice and diction with Matt Koenig, who is uh, Chris's friend and our colleague now. And that's going to be an exciting adventure for me. And then I'm teaching un uh, understanding film, which is very, very thrilling because I've been wanting to do that. I've been wanting to build a curriculum for teaching film that isn't just a bunch of whitey, white, white history. <laughs> so I actually learned something from Nope that the first motion uh, picture ever was captured gonna, was a black man on a horse. <laughs> I was going to say, is Nope going to be one of the films you have? <laughs> no, Get Out is actually. Okay, nice. I think Get Out is better. Uh, for film history sort of stuff mm -hmm. to say, you know, what did this amazing horror film accomplish? And because it's sort of a first time of, I, I, that I know of, of comedy in horror, not like a really badly made horror comedic film, mm -hmm. a good co comedy horror film. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm also dialect coaching men on boats. 
uh, with it for the under, for the undergrad main stage production. And I'm taking six months off of acting. I've intentionally decided to take six months off to break and write some stuff. Like you said, writing, uh, I have a, a screenplay idea, two screenplay ideas. One, I can't tell you about, but because Chris says everybody will steal it. Um, but the other one yeah, is called, you put it, especially if you put it on, <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> it's very good. And then the other one is called disc heads and it's about disc golfers. Um, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty decent, uh, idea that I have, that's going to be sort of a Will Ferrell, Tina Fey sort of style comedy. So I just got to get writing it. So I'm taking a break from acting so I can try to spend some time on that all while teaching and all that yes. stuff. Taking breaks so, is definitely important. Yeah. Chris, anything to add? Well, <laughs> let me cut this part out. <laughs> we keep, we this keep everything in. <laughs> oh no it's all it's all going in it's all going in that's me adjusting the pop filter on the microphone um yeah i think this is just a, a an illustration this job coming together is just an illustration of like uh, folks you know are going to get you so much further than uh whatever ability you may possess which will get you far um but it is an it is an industry about knowing folks and uh cultivating good relationships and like being uh, a person who is a joy to work with and uh, somebody who also like, isn't afraid to call bullshit too. Um, Cause yeah, I do bad at, at PCPA and I, uh, he was a resident artist. I was an intern. Uh, we got on really well. And uh, I did this, this stage reading of uh, dealer's choice by Patrick Marvin. I was like, Hey, like, I'd love for you to be in this. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And that was like, unheard of for a resident artist to do like a side project with an intern. Mm -hmm. And so that lent like some major legitimacy. We had a really good time and I think it, it was a really good reading. Um, fast forward to SETC this year in Memphis and I'm going through the programming guide looking for workshops and I see that Matt's running one. So I sent him a text and I'm like, Hey, we got to get together. And so we go get some barbecue, of course, because it's Memphis best barbecue on earth. Uh, and Matt says, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to do a show next semester. And, uh, Molly, who's a mutual friend, uh, from PCPA is, uh, covering all my classes. Well, okay, great. And, you know, off we went on our merry ways. And then I get a call from him on a Tuesday, close to the end of the semester. And I've been applying my ass off trying to get any teaching job that I can and not getting a lot of bites because I'm fresh out of grad school. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Matt calls me and says, I know this is out of nowhere. I know Molly was covering my classes. Now she's not. Can you teach acting movement and voice and diction? Because I will put you into the program head. And I said, and this is where like supporting your the partner and putting them out for stuff. Yeah. It comes in the power cup comes in place. Like I could teach acting and movement. I can't teach voice and speech, but my wife can. And so he pitched us to the program head as a pair and we met with her on Thursday, same week, for about 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. And it was pretty much, you can teach this? I'm like, yeah. And Tiffany, you can teach that? Yeah. Great. You want the job? Absolutely. Hey, we also need a section of understanding film covered. How do you feel about that? Tiffany's like, I love it. Let's do it. And there we are. Yeah. So teaching acting, teaching movement, and probably trying to pick up a show at one of the local theaters. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I want to get a part-time job 
working at the bouldering gym in uh, St. George because uh, my buddy suggests it's a really good way to meet all the good climbers in the area. So you can go out with them so you can pick stuff up from them. And also if you work at the gym, you usually climb free, which would be a good uh, safe expense. Up, can't miss the opportunity for that perk for sure. Get your Oh no, absolutely and, not. And then um, that rock is, you're, you're going to come next year or whenever you go back, you're going to climb that rock. Oh, I am. I I am for sure. I'm for sure going back. Uh, it's hard to be anywhere else in the summer. It's just so incredibly beautiful up there. And we, we were out four times, I think, climbing, which is like double what I did last summer. And it makes you way better in the gym, definitely. Um, yeah, and I may uh, I got a got a lead on a on a job that I'm going to uh, take a look at that would be for spring, that would be like a multi-year contract sort of deal, mm -hmm. um, which would be a little more permanent than, than what we're doing in Utah. And so I'm going to check that out. Uh, one of Tiffany's colleagues from grad school has already uh, name dropped me out there. They're on faculty out there, um, Western Kentucky. And so uh, I'll take a peek at it, look at how many years they'd want me to be there, look at what they're paying. Uh, because I love Alan to death. Very close to Nashville. Yeah, and they're, they're partnerly. I love them to death. And yeah, they they they're in close proximity to a couple of of uh, bigger cities. Um, but that'd be pretty cool. And that'd be like acting directing faculty, which is definitely my wheelhouse. So we shall see what comes of that. But <laughs> we're moving to Utah on Friday. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, it's it's all about yeah, like you said. It, some it in this industry for sure. It's not about what you know what you know helps but it's you know a lot of who you know and also too it's about you don't need everyone to to say yes you just need one at least one mm -hmm. you get one you're good yeah and conduct yourself well with literally everybody you meet because you never know who that person's gonna be that gets you that job they won't recommend you if you're a piece of garbage it's tempting to burn that bridge and oh buddy yeah when that semester ended in May, was I tempted, but I will not do it. I will not do it because I don't know who I'm going to be looking at across the table in five yes. to ten years. There's, yeah, there's a, there's another another uh, quote I have. It's, um, there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you, but who are they watching you be? Ooh, that's really good. That's really good. Yes. yes. Um, guys, I want to thank you for joining me. Um, before I say the last question, how can we stay in touch with you guys? What, what's your, uh, do you have any, um, I know Tiff, you have several businesses. Are you going to be doing those still the headshots and the voice? And no, I am go. I mean, I'll do it for students, but I'm happily, happily doing a day job and that okay. makes me enough money. So I don't have to do 60 jobs. Okay. Uh, I'll just be teaching and, uh, my day job that pays the bills, um, is, you know, a great office work from home thing. So I'm lucky there, but to keep in contact or follow or that kind of thing, I use Instagram a lot. So Instagram is at T Gilly Forer. Uh, that's T Gilly Forer. And then uh, I have a website and I update that regularly. So that's tiffanygillyforer.com. Pretty straightforward. If you Google me, it'll go there. I've been working on it for like 10 years to make it so that when you Google me, you only see stuff that has me in it. So she, she, you just Google. She's Google worthy. <laughs> she is. I'm not, but look at her. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> 
I, uh, I do have a website, technically speaking, uh, that Tiffany built for me, which is beautiful. Chris You Google me, you'll find me. Uh, I'm on Instagram and it's mostly adventure pictures. Um, but you know, see some of the sites of Alaska, uh, via that slash whatever crazy adventures we're doing. So that's the main stuff. That's the main stuff. Sweet, sweet. So final question, guys. When it's all said and done, what would you like your legacy to look like? Um, I'll go first because mine's probably not going to be as good as Chris. <laughs> uh, my legacy. I just hope that uh, for as long as humanity exists while the planet's burning. Um, oh, I hope that people. <laughs> I just watched, like, Bill, I was watching Bill. Sorry. To cut you, but I was watching Bill Maher on Friday and you were talking about that. I was like, yo, this is really scary, but that, that's, that's. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll... Yeah. Before humanity <laughs> dies. <laughs> I hope my legacy uh, is just I think I just hope that when people think of me, that they smile, that they felt feel good, feel good vibes for a minute, that when I dissipate into existence, that the force that existed around me will uh, surround them in a, in a moment of joy, because we don't get enough moments of joy in such a chaotic world. And that's enough for me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's enough. Should be enough for anybody. Chris is looking for something, I think, for demonstrating his answer. So uh, whether it be in films or plays <laughs> or classes that you took with me, <laughs> I hope you look back and laugh or smile or chuckle. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I always had a good time with Tiff. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh artistically speaking and this kind of goes back to a lot of the stuff i was talking about in terms of working through my little existential crisis over the last six years um i hope nobody knows what i was doing because it's not about me at all um i want to make it better than it was when i got here that was my number one goal when i got to uncg and everywhere I go, I hope to do the same. And if nobody has any idea who I am, that is perfect because I don't want the ink. Um, personally, there's this epitaph that I saw at a graveyard in Scotland. And I took a picture of it. It almost made me cry. I was like, this is just so beautiful. Um, it was erected by uh, his friends and the people he worked with. Um uh, John Redpath, Esquire, whose unassuming, amiable character, integrity, and sterling worth made him friends wherever he was known, and where best known and longest, the sentiment never failed to increase. It is believed he never lost a friend, nor had an enemy. I thought, my God, if I could be remembered with a fraction of that, what a life lived that would be. I told you his was going to be better. <laughs> just different not you know 
It's no better. Yeah, get out of here with better. I I, I choose his answer now. <laughs> Comparison is the thief of joy, Tiff. Yes. Uh, and you had joy in yours. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and you were just talking about confidence. Have confidence in you. Okay, my answer and his. I also adopted. <laughs> yes, you can take it, layer it on, like Jim, like Jim Ren says. You just take it, layer it on. You don't Yeah, you don't mine's the spongy away. inside of the cake. Yes. yes. Well, guys, I appreciate your time. Um, as always, and hopefully we get to work together again. Well, Tiffany, I've, we we've worked behind the scenes, but not as far as acting but maybe we we're gonna get cast in a jordan peele movie it's all good oh that'd be dope for sure <laughs> for sure and then chris would be like an ad on it or something <laughs> i'll get coffee i don't care like just let me in the pre- just let me in the presence of this man i told steve that when we were yeah. having lunch i was like man i'll be the coffee boy he didn't yeah. take me seriously enough i should have doubled down <laughs> yeah i should have you <laughs> you should have just steve, when pa like, dune too come on man when he was talking about <laughs> He was talking about that picture, the headshot. You should have just put your information on it. The, no, I know. I was like, well, now I now I'm screwed. I can't definitely can't now. <laughs> Guys, thank you. Um, Steve, thank you. if you're listening, PA Dune 3. Yes. 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 <laughs> thank you guys for joining me and us on another episode of Art is Life. And like I say all the time, peace, love, and blessings. Mm-hmm.